Rochelle Rogers-Ard is a highly respected, deep-thinking educational leader. In the summer of 2021, Rochelle was a featured speaker for the multi-tiered Supports of System MTSS conference in California. Rochelle presented her perspective and challenging observations about what the year of COVID taught, or at least it could have taught educators going forward. As a black woman attuned to the effects of SEL instruction on black students, Rochelle revealed realities that hadn't even crossed my mind because I am a white educator and by definition oblivious to how my SEL instructions might very likely be affecting black students. So please be sure to catch what Rochelle shares about the ways in which our SEL instructions can, without our intentions or awareness, feel like white supremacy with a hug to students of color or as she referred to them, students furthest from power. There is so much we white educators need to understand that we do not currently understand or even see, but we can. We white people can see and understand more so that we succeed more meaningfully with our students of color. And of course, that involves becoming aware of our blind spots. One... uh, I've been studying on this subject for quite a while now, but one book that has really, really helped me is White Fragility. Highly, highly recommend it. Rochelle and I also talked about many teachers' sense that we need to full-time control in our learning environments. But do we really? And is it really the best for any of us, including teachers and, of course, students? In this rich and rewarding conversation, Rochelle shares valuable ahas resulting from the combined experience of lockdown and remote learning. Ahas that have the potential to shift us into a whole new look at what, as educators, we do and how we do it. And how it all very much relates to the social-emotional learning that happens in our learning environments. Welcome to the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. This episode is very big picture. Even though Rochelle starts talking about middle and upper school students, we do get into the relevance of how her view on the range and impact of SEL for all grade levels is something to really think about. Welcome. My name is Nene White. I am your host. I love learning from Rochelle, and I'm so glad you're here to learn with me. Welcome, Rochelle Rogers-Ard. Um, I, I love talking to you. I love learning from you. And I want to hear about this conference, this social-emotional learning conference that you were just, uh, you were a keynote speaker there, right? I was one of the featured speakers. It was actually the Multi-Tiered Systems of Support Conference, the MTSS, which is big um, in California as we think about ways that we can support all of our students um, as educators. And so um, I forgot how it happened, but someone reached out to me and was like, we want to include social emotional learning, obviously, as part of the ways that we support, um, particularly, um, you know, students who are furthest from power, but just all students, right? And so someone was like, can you do some 
something around SEL. And I was like, okay, you're going to live abroad. No telling what I'm going to bring up in there. And so uh, <laughs> they didn't give me too many parameters. So I was like, okay, here we go. So yes, I did that in July. <clears throat> so that was really, I was really honored to be one of their featured speakers. Um, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of featured speakers of color. So I was really honored to be part of that um, and to bring a unique lens to the conference. Um, and so if you know anything about MTSS education, right? And so um, a lot of times when we're thinking about the strategies that we can use as educators to reach all children, um, it is often surprising to me that we don't ask children, right? I mean, obviously not kindergartners, right? But we could really have some honest conversations with middle schoolers and high schoolers. Like, what do you need? What works for you? Like, what are some of the things? And what I particularly am interested in right now, Nini, is what lessons have we learned from the pandemic that we can embed into um, into our classrooms, right? Like what concrete, not like, oh, I learned how to do remote learning, right? But what are the what are the lessons that we need to tease from the pandemic, right? Um, like, you even mean what pains got revealed or what, what kinds of... What pains were revealed and what are the things that we believed prior to the pandemic that maybe being in the pandemic and having lessons might have shifted, mm-hmm. right? What are some of those pieces... And I think SEL is, if I, um, SEL to me is always a how, right? It's a way to get to whatever the thing is. So if we're trying to work on the values within the organization, using SEL is the way there. If we're trying to deal with RJ, restorative practices, using SEL is the way. So I always think SEL is a how. I don't, however, think it's the end all be all. I think it's one piece in your tool belt that you pull out when it's appropriate. Is there any one tool for anything, really? Right, right. Right. And as educators, we want to have a variety of tools, right? Right. Because no one is a monolith. And so um, I really, I've really been, I've really been thinking about that. And so I tried to tease that out a little bit while also um, remaining, um, true to the spirit of social emotional learning, right? Which is really at its crux, the notion of how do we communicate better and live better with each other, right? At its its very crux. And connect better. And connect. How do we make those connections? How do we see the human, uh, the humanness of, of each other, right? By starting with self, which is what I love, right? The self awareness, self management piece. Let's start with, okay, what are my triggers? What are, you know, all those pieces and getting to know more about ourselves. And then that social piece, right? That connection, which marries with relationship skills, which helps us make better decisions, right? So when I think of SEL, the two self pieces, the social awareness piece, right? And then our relationship piece, which is part of that. And then like, hopefully we'll make better decisions if we have that together. Right. 
Um, so one of the things that I, um, being aware that Dana Simmons has definitely said to all of us, like, we don't want to have white supremacy with a hug, which is what she calls SEL. Who's this person? Dana Simmons, Professor Dana Simmons has written uh, a couple of articles about social emotional learning. Um, she was the director of an SEL, I believe it was Harvard, but it may have been at one of the other big universities. Um, and she, you know, really critiqued the way social emotional learning was from a white frame lens. And that if you use it for folks, for students, without marrying it with the um, the realities of their of of their racial identity, she has said it could be white supremacy with a hug, and so being with a, a hug weird, with a hug. Oh, <laughs> right. Ooh. So that's how she termed it, and wanting to be aware of that. In what ways do we allow, you know, our educators to really not um, ignore? race as part of our class, right? As part of our classroom, as part of the way that we, um, the way that we see our students in their fullness, in their wholeness, right? Cannot see a student without seeing race, without seeing gender, right? We want to see all of that. So in thinking about that, I, I believe that, again, that because SEL is a tool, We've got to have our, our teachers become even more aware of their blind spots right. as they're teaching our students, right? And so many teachers shy away because they don't have the, um, you know, they're fearful that they might say the wrong thing. They haven't developed what I would call the, the musculature, the tissue, right, to really have those types of conversations um, especially if you're faced with 30, you know, 30 children all bringing their beautiful selves and how do you make sure that each one is being seen in its wholeness and its fullness, right? Right. Um, and so I've been trying to think about how do I marry the lessons in the pandemic, SEL with racial identity, and how does that fit together in our classrooms? Is that all? I know, right? I just, you know. Yeah. Stuff I'm thinking about. <laughs> you know, day to day. Okay. While, while I'm walking at the marina, I'm like, well, how do you? <laughs> so. Thank you. Things, Thank you. Right. I'm just like, I'm just walking down the street every day thinking. Eh, what's that about? Um, one of the things that I, I think came out as a result of the pandemic, you have all these students at home, right? And they are facing a camera and, but they have some, some basic needs for many of them. So let me just say, I understand that for some students, home is not cool, right? So I get that. Um, uh, they're, you know, they're how they're home insecure. Um, there are abuse issues, right? And other issues. So I get for a large number of children, this is not cool. Yeah. What I'm talking about, though, is not that subset, because those students definitely need to have a safe place to go. And often what we found with the pounds of food that um, our schools were donating, that for many, many, many children, if they don't eat at school, they don't eat, right? So I, I, I get that. 
However, I also understand that for another group of children uh, for whom those aren't the issues, there were some things, there were some needs that were being met being at home, right? We found that African-American boys actually did significantly better during the pandemic while at home. Significantly, even those who were in special ed, right? We found that- You're going to explain to us why? Yeah, well, I hope so. I hope so. Okay. Um, We found that um, particularly for large groups of folks for whom English is the second language, significantly better at home, right? Um, So it starts us to thinking, what were some of those pieces, right? Yeah. So- for one piece, right, the ability to be able to be comfortable in your learning environment takes some stress away. And I know this sounds like, well, of course, Rochelle, that makes sense. But there's so many pieces about being in school that are not comfortable for a lot of children. It brings extra layers of stress. Um, so being able to have your own space, your own thing, like wherever, wherever that might be in your home, being able to wear what you want for a large number of particularly middle school, yeah. high school students, the notion of attire. Huge. Oh Huge. my gosh. So big. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm a, but yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm a fan of the movies of the eighties when they were seemingly, they were doing nothing but John Hughes movies. And everybody was in some sort of high school, even though they were obviously mid-20s. And um, it just seemed like there was all this like mean girls, like there were just all of these different movies that talked about the pain of high school. And I don't remember that, but I was a musician, so I was a nerd. Um, So I hung out with the band people. So I may not have known that I was, you know, sort of nerdy. But there's a lot of um, angst, right, that was removed with being home. Sure. Right? And so when we think about the ability to, one of the lessons I think we learned was the ability to listen to our bodies in a way that we don't have that opportunity in school, right? You sit in in a chair, maybe with a desk, all friggin' day when was that good for anybody, right? And so they were able to, during the pandemic, get up, like they could, you know, um, pause their screen or get up, run and get a snack, as opposed to it's got to be snack time. Like when you're home, there's not like, oh, I can't eat until the bell rings. I go get a snack, right? I go get an apple or whatever, right? So the ability to teach children to listen to their bodies increases their self-awareness. Yes. In what ways could that be really, really uh, like, that's like mindfulness and all the things that we talk about. And what ways could that be hugely helpful for young people? And not uh, threatening for teachers who want to be so much in control. How do you balance those two things? So the teacher control is... One of my, so I'm going to answer that by saying this. I think the other thing we learned in the pandemic is that we could do school differently. There were all these pods 
um, where folks were sending their um, children to like that one parent's house that had the space. Like so for parents who had to work, they were going to work and then they were creating neighborhood pods and creating all these other different at home options, even though they were doing remote work. Right. It was it was space for that. And the teacher had very little control. Yeah. Right. The teacher could only bring the lesson. Right. Sometimes uh, cameras were off and. Um, at, at least at my son's high school, they decided that they could not make it mandatory for cameras to be on because people are housing insecure. And so for teachers, that left a, an, a, you know, a piece of control. Um, teachers could bring content and then they're like, this is when I want content done, but uh, they didn't get to slam their doors when the bell rang or, right? If someone came in late, the teacher could not let them in, maybe, but generally the, the notion was, I want you to be part of this learning community. And they were fine. Yeah. Teachers were fine. Yeah. Like maybe we need to rethink the way that we do teacher prep in that this notion of you need to be in control, right? Yeah. Is maybe antiquated. Yeah. Um, and maybe some of the things that they put in place are, are whom, you know, when we look at racist policies, the question that we always ask is whom does it privilege and whom does it, um, who do, you know, who does not have access in this particular case, we're not talking about race, but we are talking about children. And when you make some of these policies that teachers make in their classrooms, whom do they privilege? Right. And so this notion of don't turn in homework late. Like if you turn in homework late, or some teachers go as far as to say no late homework will be accepted. Right. And others are like, okay, we're going to um we're gonna, you know, penalize it with some sort of points off or something. And my question is, nowhere do you do that. Because the, the, I'm like, so teachers, what, what's the intent behind that? Well, we want to teach them that they have to turn in everything on time. There is not one workspace where if you don't turn it in, they don't get the work because they want the work. They may not be happy. I'm not saying you shouldn't have deadlines. I'm saying maybe that's a false assumption because really it privileges the teacher. So I, I'm just saying we learned all this in the pandemic. Things were late. Yeah. Lots of, lots of assignments were late, right? Because people were trying to figure it out and how it came in and the work still came in, you know, or didn't, but there wasn't this necessity for teacher control. Right. And then, I mean, so what you've given us so far to my simple brain is there's teacher control and there's student increasing self-awareness. And maybe those two are, at odds and how do you make them not be at odds? Right. So for me, it's increased student voice is the answer, which is of course an SEL tactic, right? It all circles back to SEL. Mm. We somehow don't want our students to be, to take very much control of their learning. We don't want that. Or their thinking. Right. We don't want that. We want open head, pour in knowledge. What we don't want is choice, 
right? Because choice means lack of control. And what we definitely don't want is questions. But how in the world do you ask someone to become more self-aware, to be, to be more socially aware, to understand their triggers and their self-management if they're not questioning, if they're not um, thinking radically, if they don't have options? How, how, how do we raise those types of children? Right. So then what you get is the kids that are the, the rebels and they shut down on you because they're not accepting that all that control and they're not accepting that they don't, whatever, maybe they don't know that self-awareness piece, but they sure know the control doesn't work for them. Right. So and then, then yeah. So then when we're in class, the way to, so the way to deal with that is to move those children aside. So they're the sent out of class or whatever you, you've now questioned me. I am the person in control. You need to leave. Right. And I was like, but they couldn't do that in the pandemic. Got it. Got it. And so I'm, I'm fearful that we're going back to the same old, same old. And I'm like, let's learn those lessons. Yes, please. What I saw a lot of teachers doing is saying, here are the four things you need to do. Get them into me by this time, right? You know, because the teachers were worn out too. So yeah, they're like, yeah. here's the five things or here's the syllabus and these are the things that you need to do. And they would put them up and they were like, all this has to be turned in by this time. And, um, and this is more almost like a Montessori method, actually. And so then students were like, okay, I'm, you know, some students are like, I'm gonna get it all done today. And then I don't have to worry about it. Others waited, of course, until 11.59 p.m. But the point is, This is how we teach young people to be productive members of society. It's, uh, you know, because it's very rare that you're at work and someone is saying, I want you to do this now, and then this now, and then this now, and then this now, right? Especially as work is becoming um, much more remote um, and people are, are, you know, there's just, our, our work is changing, but our education hasn't. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were talking to teachers and or administrators or? Yes, I think MTSS um, is largely, it's educators. I'm assuming teachers and district folks and what have you. It was a webinar format, so I wasn't able to see participants. Oh, so you you couldn't connect with them, even the way you and I are connected. Ooh, ouch, ouch. Yeah, yeah. So because we know for sure that in the public school system, the teachers are completely beholden, you know, they have to do what the administration passes down to them. So, I mean, there's standards, but um, I like to tell um, educators, look, there's content and there's pedagogy, right? There's what has to be taught. Um, and then there's how you teach it. And pedagogy varies from class to class, even with the same subject matter. What I'm looking for are the teachers who are interested in shifting pedagogy. Ah, uh, yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Interested in like, how do, how do I allow my students to move with their bodies? How do I allow their stu- my students to think differently? How do I um, allow my students to be in different spaces? Why aren't we walking outside? We did that during the whole pandemic. So now we're just going to sit back in these little boxes what's what's right Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sorry 
did I break it? No, no, go ahead. Yeah. And how do I maybe relax my sense that I need to be in control all the time? Oof. Right. Ah. Yes. Because what's the fear? If you're not in control, it's going to go wild. They're going to go running around and things aren't going to be happening. My son has um, a teacher. <laughs> um, I was going to mention the content and I was like, that's going to be too easy for people to find. Yeah. My son has a teacher um, and I'm really worried about this teacher because he's super duper rigid, super rigid. Uh, the syllabus is super rigid. And I was like, this isn't good for just like humans, <laughs> right? This level of control is for you. It is not for the people in your classroom. Right. Um, and if he would allow me to coach him, I would love to do that. But this is a person who needs that control in order to do what he does every day. So because I see that, like he could not manage less control, right? Because, uh, you know, controlling people need to control. So um, I... It's interesting because as soon as I read the syllabus, I was like, oh my God. And so my son was like, yeah, can you believe all of these things? Like this teacher has a quiz every day. Every day. Okay. Ouch. Right. Every day. So my thought is, are we really learning? Because what's the bottom, what's the, at the crux of that is, I give you homework. I want to know that you read it. I'm going to make you read it because I'm going to give you a quiz every day. Right. And the quizzes are 75% of your grade. Oh. Yeah. So it's regurgitation. Right. It's not learning. Right, right. Some people are really good at that. I was, I was, it was impossible for me. My brain, it just, I don't have that circuitry. So it was very painful for me. Well, for you and, millions others. I mean, what we know is that learning is a social construct. We must be social in order to learn. We have to talk it out and figure it out and play with it. And some people need to touch it and other people need to draw it and somebody else needs to, right? So the notion that all I need to do is read three pages and take a quiz, you know, probably discounts 90% of folks of learners. Yeah. Someone's got to, I mean, there's so many different, right? We all know about learning styles, right? So that's all this difference. Someone wants to talk about it. And what, and what happens if you want to, you know, engage with the material, right? Um, that's why I want to talk about the subject matter. But um, this material is engaging or could be if we're having some classroom discussion, if we are trying, right? Like how might we break into small groups and talk about the, like, you know, if 75% of your grade is quizzes. This is what my son said to me. He was like, listen, so I don't need to do the other 25%. And I was like, oh, wowzers. Yeah. Right. And the other system. Yeah. Right. And as a person who's a little more socially um, self-aware, he was like, this is not doing anything for me in terms of like, he's like, I don't, all I know is I'm going to read it, get a grade, read it, get a grade. It's very um, mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. And takes away the human. So I was like, where's the SEL in that classroom? Right. Right. Yeah. There is some social emotional learning. Uh, it's not the kind we want, though. There is some social emotional learning happening, you know, and it's that should be made 
very consciously identified as well, I think, you know, that for us as educators to realize that we're always doing SEL, but is it the kind that nurtures or is it the kind that's going to need some backlash, create some backlash and re rev uh, revolting and, you know, that's, that's, yeah. It goes down to what type of teacher do I want to be and what type of student do I want to help grow? And, and what, what do I, what is my real opinion of those kids? Are they just, right. just like you showed, you know, the empty and put it in, is it, are they just empty or, and then it gets back to what you were starting to say that each individual person, you know, does he see them? So, okay, you have a class of 30 students, give us some specifics about, you know, there's the full spectrum of humanity in that group of, give us some, what do you do? Give us some action. Yeah, I don't know those students. I don't care to know them. Here's my Xeroxed article. <laughs> Read it, quiz tomorrow. Right. It's so 1967. Like I just... Um, I was like, uh, like, I really, uh, like my soul, right, was just, was pained that in 2021, that's the type of educational experience that my son is having coming out of the pandemic, right, where we were supposed to learn some different lessons. Yeah. What was the response? This is an educator. Say it again. Go ahead. No, uh, no, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just going to say, this is an educator who's not trying to shift his practice or right. his pedagogy. Yeah. So what kind of responses did you get when you gave your presentation to MPSS? Um, again, it was a webinar, so right. um, received some really good feedback. And a couple of people, a lot of actually, a lot of people put things in the chat. It was well received. It was about 50 people, 60 people. Um, and they put some things in the chat that they thought was really, really helpful. But you know how these conferences are like there were a million um, offerings. There are tons and tons of offerings. So um, I'm hoping what I've learned is if, you know, if I can provide a little germ of an idea and then someone else can take that and link that with someone else and then someone else that, you know, some shifts can happen. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to be happening in your basic public school education, because that's not generally where we innovate. Um, so smaller charters and things like that, I feel like are more willing to shift and, and try new things. But uh, we've absolutely got to think about the way that we embed real social emotional learning into classroom structures um, from the teacher's own social emotional viewpoint to what we are allowing for our students. It's, it's the only way I feel like we can combat the loneliness and the isolation that was also one of the, you know, one of the main factors in the pandemic that was so very, very difficult for not just children, but also adults. Yeah. Yeah. There's some pretty grim statistics about suicides and things. Absolutely. Oh God. And um, our children were going through that as well as adults. Right. Kids, suicide is what I was hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that you said in the beginning of this conversation that you thought this, all of this was relevant for middle and high school students, I want to disagree with you, Rochelle. 
-hmm. in that I taught all grades. And even when I taught kindergarten and first graders and second graders, I, I taught all grades. But even when I taught those little kids, you know, when you ask them the kinds of questions that can draw out their relationship to responsibility or to concepts that maybe they've observed grown-ups doing but never been asked about themselves they I'm sure this doesn't surprise you as a parent you know maybe you don't deal with young students so much but that was some of the most rewarding stuff in my whole life to be with young kids and so but that whole option to question and have questions go in both directions instead of these are the answers period done no I'm sorry I did not mean to you're right like the greatest thing even in uh pre-k right is when they're asking questions and they're allowed right in fact we we want them to ask questions because the curiosity is out there and what's that ball and what's you know how does that work right we want that we often however close that off so that by like upper middle we're back into these rows and we're like don't have discovery <sighs> right don't question why we're doing this don't question what this means right um and so that's i i agree with you right the it, it it's social emotional learning what i love about it is it's not just a strategy for children or for young children i often see some teachers or school systems using it like as a like as an RJ tool, right? Racial and justice. pardon me. Well, uh, restorative justice. Right, as a restorative justice tool. Right. Um, so you only use right. it when, it's like, when someone's in trouble or something like that. But right. Really, I, yeah, thank yeah, you yeah. for bringing that up. That bothers me. Yeah, it's not right. it's, a fixer thing. Absolutely, right. but rather to, like I said, it's the how. It's the way in which we move that allows us to to get to all these other pieces that ultimately folks want young people to get to. But then what I also find is that they forget about adults, yeah. right? In the system, as if only young people need social emotional learning, <laughs> right? But adults so need to be self-aware. So, I mean, even more so, right? And so, um, so if I, when I said middle and high, definitely incorrect. This is a strategy that is good for every single person. And going back to Dina Simmons, as long as we embed the notion of racial identity with SEL, then I believe that we can move towards our, our, our desire of being anti-racist. Okay, so you are a Black woman, I am a white woman. A big reason that I invited you to share conversation is because of those differences that I want I want us all to have help with from you who express yourself so clearly and see so deeply. So anything you want to help us with that, you know, a kindergarten teacher dealing with maybe some black boys that maybe have a different kind of energy, you know, and right. a different volume and a different tell us describe some common challenges and then ways for a white teacher and or a black teacher to deal with those differences if you don't if you would please yeah I think um when I teach when I when I work with white teachers my number one question is so who do you hang out with 
like in your personal life, who do you hang out with? If they're hanging out with people who generally look like themselves, right, who believe like they do, who act like they do, it's going to be really hard to relate to children across difference. Mm -hmm. So it all starts with Mm -hmm. your level of comfort across difference. That's and that's for white teachers, but also for black teachers, because I'm like, so black teachers. So you only teach you only hang out with black people all day. That's all you do. You don't talk to anybody else. Then it's going to be very hard for you to teach Latinx students. It's going to be very hard. Right. Because we are as humans, I believe that we lead based upon who we are and our racial context. Right. Who we are is how we lead. And our racial context is how we lead, right? That, that impacts that. That's the same thing for teaching. Who we are and our racial context definitely impacts how we teach. Because we teach based upon what we believe about children, what we believe about education, what we like that shifts the way in which we approach our classroom. So if we believe that um, students should be seen and not heard, then we go for silence in our classrooms, right? Uh, we, don't want, we don't want you talking. And our rules are all about if you're talking, if it's above this level of noise, I, it should be a two. If it's a six, then you know, right? Because that's what we believe. Children should be quiet, right? If we believe that... Um, if we believe that children should be free to explore, not unlike the Montessori method, and I don't care when you get the work done, as long as it's done at the end of the day. So I'm going to give you the choices that you have and you should take responsibility. If we believe that, then that's how we teach. So when you have folks teaching across difference, we have to ask ourselves, how comfortable am I, A, with people who believe differently, who are a different race than I, different, like how comfortable am I? And, and can I notice and be conscious when I become uncomfortable and what can I do with it in that moment? Well, so first, uh, if you're going to become a teacher, you need to ask that before you get in front of my children. For sure. <laughs> right. So I, I need you to not wait until you're in your third year to be like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I need you to know your level of comfortability. And this is why I really believe that teaching is best for people from the community. Because if you're from the community and you understand context, chances are if I'm running into you at Target and I'm, you know, and I'm seeing you at Safeway or whatever, I have a little bit more comfort. But when we ship folks in from different backgrounds and and then they come into classrooms, it it can be sort of jarring, right? Right. So the very first thing is, who do I hang out with? Who do I talk to? Who are my friends, right? And so um, that sets me up for how comfortable I am in a classroom with people that I, you know, if I hang out with a multiracial group of friends, then I don't have a problem teaching folks who are multiracial, because I'm used to that. If I don't hang out with a multiracial groups of friends, when I have different races, I see them, but it's like, there's a, there's a, there's automatically a shield there, right? Then we get to bias. We haven't even gotten to bias yet, Nene. Like that's just comfort. Okay. And then 
we have to get to bias and beliefs. Like, what have we been told about Black boys? What have okay. we been told about Latinx um, children? Um, right, and then we have to we have to work through our biases. But before we can get to bias, I always ask new teachers for like in credential programs. I'm like, who are your friends? Where do you hang out? Where do you eat? Like, what's up? Like, where, like, and I encourage them to think about that in terms of the way that they then uh, relate or don't relate, right, to students. Yeah, and to 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 see that, to really, really see it. To really see it and acknowledge it. To see it and acknowledge it. And then then what? What can they do about it? I mean So then some shifts have to happen. So I have found that some of my favorite teachers um immerse themselves in the communities where they teach, not as a visitor though, right? Mm-hmm. Like they live in the community not from a gentrification piece, but from a, I want to be all up in where my students are. So I understand what they have to get through to get here. I see them. I, you know, I will see them in the community and I can make those connects with those students. Those are my favorite teachers and that requires grow your own programming. Right. But from a systemic level, um, that, requires what what did you grow grow your own programming where there's uh programs where you were growing our own teachers so teachers i ran a program like that for 15 years in oakland unified where we recruited from oakland from folks who had gone to school in oakland who were you know born and raised in oakland right who wanted to be in oakland who lived in oakland and wanted to teach in oakland okay so that when they went into classrooms there wasn't this disconnect Right. right. One of my favorite teachers, I mean, I have tons of favorite teachers, but one of my favorite teachers lives by the lake in Oakland, by Lake Merritt. Yeah. And um, he would frequently walk his dog and his son and his daughter, and he they would all be walking around the lake or whatever, you know, on a Saturday. And, you know, he's on shorts and a T-shirt, not looking like he looks during, the, but we see tons of students. Yeah. Right. And that demystifies that teacher. And then there's a connection that happens. Oh, I saw him on, oh my God, that's your son. You know, like just this, the, this um, way in which it humanizes him for students. And then he sees his students differently as well. And then you can draw on that. Right. Did I see you at the lake? Where are you going? Oh, so you just, oh, you hang, you know, right. Or, you know, at the park or, um, you know, at a basketball game or whatever, right? Yeah. So for me, when I when when you ask what can prospective teachers do, I need them to think about context. Context matters. Where do you want to teach? Right? And why? And how comfortable are you in that environment? Because those are your students. That's where your students live. Yeah. Right? And so if you are like, oh, you know, right. If you're giving this notion of I can't be in this environment, yeah. you're really disrespecting where these students live. Yeah. So maybe that's not good for you. So yeah. I want them to I want them to figure out who they are and how comfortable they are across difference if they're going to teach um, diverse classes. And then 
for the teachers who are like, no, that's not too much for me. I'm going to stay like with my own people. Um, I want to challenge them that part of the reason um, that we have people right now wondering, should we teach critical race theory um, or talking about not teaching critical race theory, talking about not wearing masks. Part of the reason that we have people who are able to make really ridiculous statements, all of those people went to school and they miss being challenged by an educator. Right. So even if you're in your own monolingual, uh, you know, your own, like I feel comfortable in my little space of the world, I still need you to challenge. Yep. Right. Yep. Challenge equals growth and, uh, and growth usually creates more inclusion, of course. Absolutely. And, uh, okay. Oh, so what you're doing is absolutely fitting into this, what this podcast is about. It's called the big picture, social, emotional learning podcast, because social, emotional learning is big picture. It's got a big, big picture, or it's not really social, emotional learning. It's some tacked on thing, or here, let's do this for 10 minutes once a week or something. You're talking about 100% immersion, uh, emotionally, psychologically committed professionally. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the notion that it's just an education, right? So I want to, I want to debunk that theory. Yeah. as well, that we only do social emotional learning if we're in school. Right. And so like almost everything else, uh, it needs to be applied in all aspects of our, you know, of our lives. So, you know, when we're having arguments with our loved ones, it's like, mm, let me pull back because of my relationship with you, you know, because we work harder when we care about people. So because of my relationship with you, I'm being triggered right now and respectfully I would like to pause on this relationship which is what we teach for children when we're doing restorative justice like oh this was something bad for me so I need to pause or whatever like those same strategies can be applied outside of school as well (laughs) absolutely absolutely so I love talking to you I have just Uh unbounded respect for you and appreciation what you bring um how does a person you know of uh, different grade levels what what is the best way that they could get informed by what you're bringing Uh, go to your Um, i mean i don't think i'm doing anything different than what a lot of other people are doing but you know me i'm gonna tell tell people to read and listen to podcasts i mean i just I just believe everything happens with a book. I don't, <laughs> I don't like, I read voraciously. Yes. Um, because I want to synthesize a variety of ideas. Yes. Right. And so folks are writing all the time, almost a lost art. I'm scared about what's going to happen to books, right? Because we're, we're moving away from that, but tons and tons of reading. I think the other piece though, is to engage in really critical conversations with colleagues And that requires that you, you know, find some critical colleagues, but, um, you know, like, so what are, you know, what should I be doing? What should I be doing differently? Um, Doing some research about different types of schools and things that they're trying, particularly homeschools 
there's a reason homeschools are on a rise and it's not yeah. just the coronavirus, right? Right. It's that we are finding after last year that we're having tremendous gains with young people who weren't really doing well in traditional school. Right. So let's look at those homeschools and see right. what else is happening with them and what strategies we can we can take and, and apply. Um, and then, gosh darn it, talk to some children. Right. Gosh, I'm so tired of educators. And, and listen to, to children. children. Go ahead. I'm yes. sorry. No, talk to them, listen to them. And I'm so tired of educators not talking to children. Like it's just really bothering me. Um, how in the world are you going to get better with a target audience if you don't talk to them? I mean, that's just basic market research, right? Hello. So, <laughs> that's, just, that's just basic sales. Yes. So yeah. um, <laughs> like this is a strategy. I, I, I talk to children yeah. all the time. And they appreciate it. Well, I, sometimes they're like, why is she talking to me? But um, <laughs> You know, and I get that, you know, because there's other things they could be doing with their lives. Uh, But I'm like, what is going on? Like, what's happening at school? Um, One of the most illuminating things I ever did when my daughter was in, I think she was in seventh grade. I shadowed her. It was the worst day ever. (laughs) It was horrific. At the end of the day, I was like, girl, yeah, I wouldn't go to school either. It was so bad. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was disgusted (laughs) and I could not imagine. I was like, wow, is this every day for you? Uh Just sitting in the class. And I was there. So you would assume the teacher like kicked it up a notch. Right. For me to be there. It was just mind numbing. No imagination. There there was no social emotional. Oh, I mean, there was one really great teacher, but other than that, it was just five hours of torture. Yes. Torture. But it's just like, you know, you know, people didn't go into teaching thinking that that's what they were going to turn into. Right. How does that happen? And how does that not get prevented? Well, Yeah. Thank you for asking. Yes. Number one, we teach the way we were taught Mm -hmm. unless we see something different. So that teacher of my son's that's doing reading, right? Somebody, somewhere, somewhere he experienced that. And he was like, oh, this is effective. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is an effective strategy. Uh, Probably, like I said, back in 1967. So that's one thing. Yeah. The other thing is, I don't know if you visited, and I'm not poo-pooing colleges of education, but those folks, those professors haven't been in a K-12 classroom in years and years and years and years and years, right? So we need educators who are uh, thoughtful, critical pedagogues, teaching teachers. And so again, I'm not poo-pooing schools of education. I dare not. But I do think we need to think about who we hire in schools of education, maybe not for like the, um, you know, so so for some basic courses, we want to have our professors still teach some things, but not methods. um, And certainly not here's how you engage students. I want critical pedagogues who are doing it every day to teach 
how do, and then I want to be able to go and see them do it, right? So I want them to teach a lesson to prospective teachers. And then those teachers go and sit and watch and see it in person and see what the differences are. Then they go back and talk about it. And that's what I think is how you shift it. Yeah. With a whole set of criteria that, that here's the content and here's how they connected and here's, you know, body language and here's just uh, what were the subtle cues you picked up on when so-and-so did such and such? What was that subtle cue that you saw with the, you know, because people can be helped to be caught. Like I've watched myself on video sometimes and it was like, Ooh, <laughs> we used to um, we used to videotape our new teachers in the program that I ran um, and they were all shocked. Yeah. But what we did is we we videoed them and then their coach went over it with them so that they could be aware of some of those pieces. Um, I just had this conversation with an educator. It was so great. She's um, has left the K-12, you know, public school system. And is now working in one of those homeschools. And she was saying that she noticed she was running out of patience with her 10 or 15 students. And uh, she was being very short with them. Like, why aren't you doing this? And you know better and sit down and all the things that we hear in classes all day. Yeah. And then she went to the side and got really aware that really those children weren't doing anything different than what they normally do. She was tired. Yep. She was tired. Yep. Like it had been whatever it had been. And at that moment, damn, she was just exhausted. And so she didn't have the emotional bandwidth, right? To do it. So what normally would have been like, oh, Shelly, you know, you shouldn't do that. Put that back was now like, Shelly, don't do that. Put Right. Because the emotional bandwidth wasn't there. That's that SEL self-awareness. Right. So in noticing that, she took a deep breath, went back and said, you know what, you guys, I'm tired. Yeah. And I'm kind of short right now. So we're going to take a pause on this piece. We're going to go take this break. Now, again, this is homeschool, so you you don't have a bell. So you can go take that break outside. That gave her a moment to breathe. She came back, was like, okay, I'm ready to go. All right, tag me in, tag me in. Love it. But she listened to her body. She was self-aware. She, and then she owned it. And then she modeled it for yep. the children yep. that it's okay for them to be like, today I'm, you know, I'm not in it. Like my, my body, like they're not always in it. <laughs> Sometimes children come to school, they're like, listen, I don't know, but I'm not in it today. Yep. Right. And the ability to model that and then to go, we're going to pivot and go do this. I thought about how this teacher would not have been able to do that in a K-12 public school system per se, how she probably couldn't pivot and like go outside or get whatever she needed because the bell schedule didn't happen and it's this and the this is happening. And then I thought about how we don't allow our students, we don't allow our teachers to model that type of behavior, right? Because Teachers are supposed to go all day long, eight to four, all day, um, and not be tired. Right. And you better not be hungry. And I hope you don't have to use the bathroom. Right. Like, you just better go all day. And then we model that go all day, ignoring our body and our needs right. to our children. 
because they're supposed to go all day, hard in the paint, right? And I was like, wow, circling back to my beginning piece, we've got to think differently about that. And the necessity of of knowing our bodies and being self-aware and being able to say, the reason that I went off on you, poor little child who wasn't doing anything more than what I should be doing as a seven-year-old, I'm, you know, I'm stretching and playing or whatever. The reason I went off on you for being just a child, for for just being a child, is because I didn't have that emotional bandwidth. And so I'm going to do something to pivot and be aware. And I was like, well, we don't give our teachers that. And then they don't model that for students. That's a life altering gift that that woman, that teacher gave to that child. Life altering. Absolutely. Yeah. And now I know why so many of us or so many folks are sending their, are either choosing remote from their local K-12 or whatever, or choosing to send their children to different homeschools or pot schools or whatever, because there is that flexibility where teachers get to say, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me today, but right now I need a timeout. I need to put myself in timeout. You know what I mean? Yeah. And how many times do we need that? Those of us who aren't educators, right? I, you know, I'll be at work and be like, oh, yeah, it is not working for me right now. Right. So my latest thing is working at my desk and writing and, you know, doing the podcast and doing all these things I'm doing. Right. Sometimes I have nothing left. I go to Netflix and my latest thing is that I've seen this show about makeup artists. I mean, it's just total brain candy. Absolutely. I watch it for about 20 minutes and then I... My since you shared yours, my secret is the British baking show. Oh, I love that one too. Listen. Absolutely. I'll do I'll do a good 45 minutes on that. They make the most ridiculous food. I'm like, how is this possible? I know. And I'm able to release, yep. you know, whatever that is. Sometimes yep. we're friggin' tired. Yeah. Or um, or we don't have whatever, you know, whatever emotional pieces are going on with us. Or for me, it's just like the, those connections, they're so fired that they're burned out. And I just yeah. have to. You know, it's just, I I really think in terms of neuronal connections, you know, I'm so grateful to understanding about brain science now, you know, every time I learn a little bit more, it's just like, oh, so I'm not just a lazy person or I'm not just, a you know, just, oh, my brain, those little wires are just, they're, they're fried. I need to just, yeah, go ahead. Did we not learn? Right. Did we not learn in the pandemic? We need to slow down. Yeah. Did we not learn that we probably do not need to work eight to five with a 30 minute lunch break? (laughs) Did we not learn that we get to eat when we want to eat? Did we not learn as often as we want to eat? But we certainly did not have to wait right in this little period and then shove food in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. Did we not learn that it might be better for our bodies if we got up and took walks periodically? Right. Did we like, did we not learn that? Right. Right. So when I was growing up, my mama used to say, don't make me have to teach you this lesson twice. (gasps) And that's what I feel like (laughs) is happening that we as educators and just, you know, as humans have got to be like, I don't want to learn 2020 twice. Yeah. 
Like I, I got it. I'm clear. Yeah. And I'm going and I'm shifting. Right. And so yeah. even in our personal lives, um, I was sharing with a friend and I have so much more bandwidth for my son. Now let's be clear. He's also older. So he's, he's a senior. Um, and so, you know, there's some maturity there. Right. But my God, just just two years ago, I'm, you know, pushing him out the door. Well, first of all, getting up, trying to make sure he has food or not, you know, some sort of sugary cereal um, that probably was worse than like no food. Pushing him through the door. Why do you have that on? Do you have your backpack? Why don't you have all this? Let me drop you off. Run down a freeway. Right. Get to the job. I'm already worn out. Right. Yeah. Then do that until five. Come back, pick up, go to a store, find a dinner. Oh my God, I can't, I don't even, rem- I can't believe I did that. Right. And for years. Yeah. Right. So I don't want to learn this lesson twice. I yeah. think as adults, we need to understand what it means to listen to our bodies, be mindful, be aware of our triggers and be aware that we need more time to process and slow down. And I think as educators, it's going to, it's, it's going to come back and hit us if we don't make some serious changes yeah. very, very soon. Our students are worth it yeah. and, and, and we, and they deserve it. And our educators deserve it. Yeah. 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 Our educators deserve it. Absolutely. So um, I'm hopeful that folks will look at SEL, that they will see that as a tool um, that they will start to embed that more in their classrooms. And I'm also hopeful that we can look at our education system and start to make some changes. I love you, Rochelle. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Love you too, Nini. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, this is, this is real life wisdom that's 100% relevant for all of us. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So shall, I, I, I want people to not feel like, okay, now I've met Rochelle and now I never get to see her again. I mean, shall I send people to your website or? Yeah, um, uh, my website is my name, michellerogersart.com. And um, there's a link there to not only purchase the book, which you see I have my background uh, made with my book there. So not only to purchase the book, but also to some work that I'm doing with another critical educator who is dope. He's my co-writer. He's, he's, he's dope. And um, <laughs> we're doing a lot of work around um, critical race leadership, wanting to really um, push on our leaders to create those types of spaces. That's part of our, our mantra on the other side of my background, right? What can we dream and design that's different for schools, right? So very much interested in doing that with school districts and charters and homeschools and all that other stuff. So all that can be found at the website. And then um, I am doing some work for Black women. Uh, I feel just compelled to create spaces of affinity. Um, So we'll be doing some work for those women who um, have not traditionally found a safe space to share some of the things that they are experiencing as leaders. So that's what's coming up for me next. Fabulous. Fabulous. And for, um, I live, you know, in Sonoma County. Yeah. White, 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 white. You know, I used to teach there, right? Sonoma State. Oh, no. If you told me that, I forgot. Yeah, I taught, um, I taught their first ever gospel choir. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, totally white, all white. It was great. Yeah. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, here on family property, I'm not going to move probably. Yeah. But just trying, I'm asking this question for myself, but also for anybody who's probably possibly in a situation like I am where I want more interaction, even though I'm not going to move like you were talking about before. So should I program it into my life, which is fine. I could do that to, to come to Oakland for events that I see on calendars or what, what seems real to you? I mean, I'm, I'm, I think Petaluma and Rohnert Park are closer. And I, I think they have some things going on. I think we have to look in some different spaces. Um, There's, or Santa Rosa has a very vibrant, you know, um, diverse community as well. So there are folks there. I see your look, but there are, there are some pockets. There are some pockets of things there. Um, I am working, I'm supporting some folks at uh, Sonoma County Office of Education. Uh And they're also trying to figure out, you know, how there can be a lot more things that can allow us to connect and do some work around this. So I think all of those things are special. But really, there's enough podcasts, TV shows, um, there's enough Netflix, there's enough YouTube, there's enough, listen, um, we don't have to be in physical proximity anymore. Um, And the learning, I I spend a great deal of time reading and a great deal of time on YouTube. Um, it's, It's one of the best things. If I see an author, for example, then I YouTube that author and then I get to like, oh, so for example, Bettina Love is my, like, I think she is the best thing that's ever happened to education. <laughs> so um, Professor Bettina Love, L-O-V-E. And so I've read her book and then I went to YouTube and then I, you know, I just sat there, right? And I was like drinking in <laughs> her knowledge. So I think there's a lot of, of different um uh, different ways that we can, you know, I'm sure you've watched Kendi. He's not the greatest speaker, probably a better writer, but I mean, you know, I've watched a lot of his pieces, Ta-Nehisi Coates. I watch all of his stuff. Oh. It's always amazing. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of different ways to engage. To your point, not not going to leave Sonoma and Sonoma is beautiful. So why would you? But there are a lot of other different ways that I think folks who might feel not as uh, close to diverse communities can also learn and, and engage. My experience, uh, I've told you before, I'm a member of the Black Achievement Fund. And when I, I went to be with uh, uh, a celebration of theirs, in the Juneteenth in Georgia, it was, it was a whole lot better than Netflix. <laughs> For sure. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how often can those, right, right. Like, you can't right. do that all the time. I mean, obviously, if you have opportunities to join organizations and yeah. then attend, that's, that's the way to go. I was just thinking in a post-COVID 2020, now Delta variant, yeah. whatever we're in, like, I don't even know what we're in in 2021, right. that type of world, right. moving over into 2022, yeah. like, I don't even know what the world is um, right. right now, so I'm, um, I'm hesitant to, like, for example, when you went to the museum with your friend, uh, when last we spoke, 
normally I just tell everybody, just go to the African-American Museum and the Smithsonian in DC. But right now, given so many, I don't even know if they're letting people in, um, but that's like the first thing to do yeah. is to visit those types of things so that you can learn more. But yeah, yeah, in lieu of those things, Yes, all good, all good. And and yes, I have been doing all of that. I, I feel the more I learn and the more I connect, the more I want. So um, yeah, 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 yeah. And the more I grow, right, yeah. the more I'm finding room for growth. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I don't want to let you go, but I know you're a busy woman. <laughs> so, uh, but we'll have to schedule something uh, later in the year so that we can continue to catch up. This is great. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, and I always, you know, I always really, you know, I, I don't really like talk unless someone asks me a question. <laughs> so, right. And so then when you ask thought provoking questions, I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of, you know, so I appreciate the opportunity to get those thoughts out because otherwise they're just sort of, they're sort of in this area. Yeah, I can relate hundred percent. Hundred percent. All right. Well, I so hope I get to meet Chris someday too. I mean, the way you speak about him. Oh, we'll have to do a yeah. Let's do a podcast. Great. Listen, yeah. yeah, he's he's definitely dope. And and the thing is, is when you find critical people, especially across difference. The great thing about for me and Chris, like we're across gender, we're across race, right? We're across beliefs, right? But then you're able to make that human connection yes and then to see where those synergies are right yeah it's yeah it's it's pretty special and meaningful perfect perfect yeah. perfect we'll have to get that going yes yes uh yep good okay you are not done with me yet i promise okay <laughs> sounds good sounds thank good you meaning. thank you again absolutely take care be in touch all right bye-bye If you enjoyed this and other episodes of the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast, please share it with your friends or repost episodes on your Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. I'm dedicated to sourcing the wisest and most helpful resources for educators and parents. And the best way you could thank me for the hours and hours I put into producing this podcast is by sharing it with others. So thank you so much if you can do that. And um, uh, if ever there is a topic you'd like to hear more about on this podcast, just let me know. You can DM me on Facebook or Instagram, and I will respond as soon as I can. Okay, thank you for being here. Thank you, thank you for sharing in the learning. <laughs>